listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org. Sometimes when Christmas comes, we don't feel that Christmassy. In fact, as we look at this today, we're going to see one of the darkest accounts in all of Scripture when it comes to the speaking, the teaching of the time of Christmas. If you've got a Bible, find with me Matthew chapter 2. In the moments to come, we're going to be arriving in verse 13. Everybody wants to have a joyful Christmas season. Everybody wants to have the festivity, as much trees and mistletoe and all the presents. But there are times when Christmas comes, we don't feel like celebrating Christmas. I think of the family of the slain officer out in Mesquite, a noted believer, a man who had Bibles in his police car. The family no doubt is struggling due to the loss of this uh, brave, brave officer. I think of December 7, 1941, this past Tuesday, was the anniversary of the bombing of Pearl Harbor. The bombing began at 7.55 in the morning, local time. When it was done several hours later, 2,403 people's lives had been taken. You don't often think of the proximity of Pearl Harbor and Christmas. You don't think, if you're like me, of the proximity, the closeness of the 7th of December to the 25th of December. But no doubt, during that Christmas season of 1941, there were families burying their dead sailors. No doubt, when that Christmas season came in 1941, there were families sending off their young soldiers and Navy men and Marines to go fight against the Axis powers. On the 7th of December, it was only hours later that Roosevelt, FDR, was to declare war upon the Axis power, the Japanese, the Germans, the Italians, among others. FDR would get a visit from Churchill that Christmas. Churchill would come over and spend 14 days in the White House as the two superpowers were to collide and connect during those days. And Roosevelt made a strategic decision. Just a few weeks after the bombing of Pearl Harbor, the greatest tragedy on American soil, he said, we're going to have Christmas. The tree's going to go up. Christmas Eve service is going to happen. Sometimes Christmas comes along and you don't just feel that Christmassy. In the moments to come, I want to look with you one of the most dark narratives in all of the passages reserving to Christmas. In fact, as I think about this, you're going to find a story today that happened several years after the Christmas, the first Christmas, beginning in verse 13 of Matthew chapter 2, where you read these words. Now, when they departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child. Take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. Remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt. I called my son. Now notice as we read this, the fulfillment of passage, fulfillment of Old Testament and New. You're going to see that refrain three to four times, beginning now in verse 16. Then Herod, 
when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem in all the region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. This, to refrain from verse 15, this was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod... When Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph, in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And Joseph rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. And when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, as you often remind me, these are your story to tell. This is your story to tell, not mine. You picked, you chose... Mary, Joseph, Jesus left from eternity into Bethlehem. Every part of this is your story. Now, Lord, let us align our lives with the story of God and put us on the same purposes that you would have. Cause us to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Celebrating Christmas when you don't feel like celebrating Christmas. Our story actually happens perhaps two years after the first Christmas. The wise men have come, the wise men have gone. The wise men left, as you know, verse 11 of Matthew 2 tells us, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Likely Joseph and Mary, as they are about to journey 75 miles into Egypt, will take that gold, frankincense, and myrrh and either use it to barter or they'll sell until he can find work. It will fund their journey. Several years have passed after that first Christmas. No doubt, Joseph wants to take his son and bring him back to mom and dad. Perhaps the parents had come from Nazareth and moved into Bethlehem for a period of time. Perhaps they had not. No doubt, Mary wanted to bring her child back to her mother so that the family could enjoy and admire them. But that will have to wait. What's about to happen is the Holy Family, Joseph, Mary, Jesus, are about to be redirected. In the moments to come, God included this very dark story in the pages of the Bible to remind us that when Christmas appears, darkness does not immediately go away. But when Christmas appears, a light shows up that will eventually extinguish darkness. Look with me first. Verse 13 of Matthew chapter 2, angels and Christmas. The Bible again says, and when they departed, behold, an angel appeared to Joseph in a dream. Now, angels are all over the Christmas story. They're literally hovering all over the Christmas story. You, 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 you just can't go anywhere reading about Christmas and not bump into an angel. 
Now, you need to know a little bit more about angels. You may not know that. You need to get a little bit of awareness and orientation to angels because if the Bible is correct, you're going to spend more time with the angels than you do your family. If the Bible's correct and eternity is eternity, okay, you're going to spend eternity in one of two places, either with fallen angels or with the good angels. So knowing that, knowing that if you lived a century, it's but a speck of time, wouldn't you want to know a little bit more about the angels? Now, most folks think when you, when you think of an angel, you're thinking like a cute pet, like a little toy dog or something that brings warmth, you know, like a bouquet of flowers, like you want to pat the angel on the head. But when you go to the Bible, nobody's patting the angel on the head. The instinctive reflex of everybody that sees an angel is to brace themselves. A hurricane, a tornado has shown up. And again, angels are all over the story of Jesus and Christmas, and they're all over Jesus' life. One incident I had forgotten a little bit about with the angels showing up at Gethsemane. Gethsemane. Remember the night before the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, and he's sweating blood. His three best friends, Peter, James, and John, are, they're not really focused. And the Bible says an angel shows up to minister to Jesus. Angels show up on Easter Sunday morning on the the women at the tomb. It's an angel they met, the Bible says. And then at the second coming, the next big event that's going to happen in the whole chronology of the world, the Bible says God is going to give an angel the privilege to announce the second coming. That'd be, that'd be some kind of job, wouldn't it? So angels are all over the place. And you need to get to know the angels. You need to be aware of them. In fact, when angels show up, they, they bring comfort, they protection. Again, they're, they're scary when they show up. If an angel shows up later today, and you tell me it was just a, you know, sort of a Hallmark Channel love fest type thing, it was warmth and joy, and everybody went home happy, you probably not met an angel. But if you see a being that's beyond any description, and you want to go to the restroom without actually going to the restroom, then you probably have seen an angel. And again, they're all over the Christmas story. Remember, the angel shows up to Mary, and he says, in effect, to Mary, you're pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And this is a good thing. And the angel shows up to Joseph and says to Joseph, you're betrothed, you're engaged, is pregnant. She hasn't done wrong. You need to stay with her. She didn't cheat on you. So angels are all over the place. They're guiding this whole story. God seems to have taken all of the earth and took his hands in a special project and said, I'm going to make sure this is delivered well. So in verse 13, perhaps years after the first Christmas, the Bible says, now when, when they departed, the wise men had departed, angel of the Lord shows up to tell Joseph in a dream. And he says, rise, take the child, his mother, and flee to Egypt and remain there till I tell you. Isn't that interesting? The angel is going to bracket the whole Egypt part. The angel is going to show up say when to go, and the angel's going to say, it's time to come back. And then he says, stay there till I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. So the angel shows up to Joseph and says, in effect, you need to get out of here. You need to get this baby. You need to get your wife out of Bethlehem. Herod is about to have a full-on search for the child, and it's not going to be good. Now, again, God 
had so chosen to put this very dark account in the pages of Scripture to teach us that when Jesus arrives, both at Christmas and in our lives today, it doesn't mean that all our darkness is gone immediately. When Jesus shows up and you embrace Jesus and do it the right way, the real way, by faith, it doesn't mean all your problems are going to go away. It does not mean that all darkness is gone, but it does mean a light has shown up that will eventually extinguish darkness. We read about in 1 John chapter 3, a similar account. The Bible says, you know that when he appeared, that when he appeared, now that's Christmas, isn't it? So 1 John chapter 3, verse 5, teaching us about Christmas teenagers. You know that when he appeared to take away sins, and in him's what? What's the rest of it say? In him there is no sin. Not a little bit of sin, no sin. Think about that. He didn't think sin. It's amazing. And whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, and ha- who's been sinning from the beginning. And then again, it goes back into Christmas. It says, the reason the Son of God has appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So if you believe the Bible, or even if you're a skeptic and you take the Son of God and he appears at Christmas to take on the devil, you don't think this is going to be easy, do you? You don't think this is going to be a hot knife through butter. I mean, whoever the Cowboys play this weekend, it's going to be a battle, right? They got to lace them up. Christmas is about a war. When Jesus stepped foot on Israeli soil 2,000 years ago, in some ways he was the greatest soldier because it's a pronouncement of war on Satan himself. 30 plus years later, when Jesus was grown up, Jesus would say these words, do not think that I've come to bring peace on earth. I've not come to bring peace, Jesus said. I've come to bring a sword. Jesus was not naive when it came to evil. He knew the realness of evil. I love how Paul says in Romans 16, 20, I need to commit this to memory. The Bible says the God of peace will soon crush Satan. Isn't that good news? The God of peace will soon crush Satan under his feet. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. I love that. So the angel warned Joseph there's a fight coming. You know, when you look at this story, as I have this that past week, there's a couple things that come to my mind. I, I think about the Bible is so big and there's so many stories. On the 26th of December, I'll be sharing with you a story that I've read many times but forgot. You'll want to be here. It's one of the most anticipated sermons I'm going to have in in years. But there's so many of those stories that I've just forgotten. And this story, we look at every year. And if you're responsible for teaching it, I mean, how many things can you say about a story? But then as I was reflecting on this, I thought this is the story that needs to be repeated every year. This is the kind of things that my wife you know, the kind of things she repeats to me, things that are not new knowledge, but things that I need to know. Put them on the refrigerator, put them on the back door, put them on the steering wheel of the car, call me in the middle of the day, text me after that, right? This is a meaningful story. This is one that we need to be repeating. But among the things that I thought about the story was the angel comes to tell Joseph that Herod the terror is on the loose and you need to go to Egypt. I would want to raise my hand if I were Joseph. 
Mr. Angel, I've got a question. I appreciate the warning and all. But if you serve an all-powerful being, why don't you go back and tell that all-powerful being to just take Herod out? Why don't you just blind Herod or kill Herod or do something to Herod? Herod is a menace. I'm glad for two things. God does not have an advisory committee for people like me, and he's not a redneck where he would take that guy out immediately. God doesn't do any of that. God allows the evil Herod to remain in place for his own purposes. And he tells in his great wisdom, his incomparable wisdom, this is how I'm going to do this. I want you and Mary and the child, I want you to get down to Egypt. The angels teach us that the Father will do anything to protect the promise. What Mary is cradling in her arms, he is Christmas. Look secondly with me, not only the angels of Christmas, but Herod the child. Beginning in verse 16, we read these words. And Herod, when he saw that he'd been tricked by the wise men, and the wise men had just taken off, remember, he became furious. And that's not, that's not, it's not hard to get Herod furious. His, his wick is quick. He just set to fury. So Herod sent and he killed all the male children in Bethlehem and all that region who were two years old and under according to the time that had been ascertained by the wise men. When you read stories that you have to repeat in your mind, like we're repeating this one, ask yourself, use your imagination. What would it be like to be a Roman soldier at the behest of Herod? And you have to be, you have to step into Bethlehem and rip a baby from the arms of a mother and a father and to take that baby's life. This is a real story. Now, how do we know this is real? Critics of the Bible tell us, well, there's no extra biblical account. There's no historical place. We don't see in the Roman records. We don't see in the history books of Rome where Herod did this. No, we don't. We don't need a history book to tell us the Bible is true, number one. But number two, when you think about Herod, you need to be aware that we have someone here that when he died, verse 19, when he died, all the people said, thank God. He was an atrocious, an awful man. The Magi have come and the Magi have gone. The Magi, if you remember, they were told, don't go back to Herod. And so when Herod puts this together, he is on the kill. Now, there's six different Herods in your New Testament, six different Herods. And for all Bible students, it's hard to keep the Herod straight. But this Herod, like the Rose Bowl, is the granddaddy of them all. This Herod would be in leadership of the Tetrarch right in that region for 40 years. Imagine that for just a moment. From JFK, well, probably from Eisenhower to the present maybe from Reagan to the present, maybe get my narrative straight. That's a long time to reign. He moved from leadership and military as he made his way into politics. And Herod was all about terror, slaughter, brutality. It was all about rising up. Nearly everything he did was to increase his power. Now get this, students. Herod killed his own wife. 
Herod killed his own sons, three of them over time. We know of history where he would extort, he would blackmail, he would kidnap, he would torture, he would execute for more power. Herod woke up in the morning with murder on his mind, and he went to bed at night with murder on his mind. He did everything to kill any threat. When he took over leadership, he eliminated all the Hasmonean dynasty that was before him, which were revered in Judaism. Today, our Jewish friends celebrate the Festival of Lights. They celebrate Hanukkah. That's that time. Herod would take out all their ancestors. In a fit of rage one time, he ordered 300 court nobles to be killed. In another place, he took out half of the Sanhedrin in one fell swoop. Imagine the president being so upset with our Supreme Court that he takes out half of them. That's Herod. Herod is that atrocious. He is that evil. He is hideous. He is brutal. And so when the command came forth from his throne room, so to speak, a legion of Roman soldiers went to Bethlehem. That Christmas, there'd be mourning. So verse 16, when the Bible says he knew he was tricked, he understood the timing of the wise men leaving. Herod decides that every male under the age of two should be killed. Today, if you go into Bethlehem, six miles south of Jerusalem, you'll go into the Church of the Nativity. It's one of two sites you'll want to see when you're in Bethlehem. There's the shepherd's field, or likely the shepherds were, when the angel spoke to them, but you'll move into the church of the nativity, which is likely the cave in which Christ was born. And there the guide will show you the skulls of babies, to which they purport to be the very skulls of this story. I have my doubts, but I do know this. If you take the population of Bethlehem in that day and you do the proportions and the ratio, probably around two dozen babies would have been killed. Mothers and fathers, one more train car in the long train of grief and neurotic madness of Herod's reign. What do we make of this? When Jesus shows up, he does not eliminate all darkness. But when Jesus shows up, he is a light in the midst of that darkness. And he has the power one day at his bidding, at his will, to eliminate all darkness. Christmas does not mean the end of all of your problems. But it does mean that when you embrace him, he will be the end of darkness. In fact, Mary would learn this. Our story again today as we're looking at happens some years after the birth of Jesus. But just days after his birth, Mary and Joseph traveled from Bethlehem into Jerusalem. They would take the baby, Jesus, into the temple they were to perform his circumcision as was commanded by Moses. There that day was an old man, a man named Simeon. And Simeon laid eyes on Jesus, the baby, the child. And without any narrative, without anything telling him, he instinctively knew this was the Messiah that he was waiting for. So he gathers the baby in his arms. Hopefully he asked permission from the mother. And that's when Simeon began to bless this child. But then the Bible says in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 34, I pictured as Simeon's handing back the child to the baby. The Bible says, Simeon said he blessed and said to Mary, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel. For a sign is opposed, 
and a sword will pierce your own soul also, Mary. So the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Mary knew that well. She knew that not only because the birth in Bethlehem and all the aura, all the magic, all the wonder about that, but in the days to come, she would make her way to Egypt, not back to Nazareth, not back to her hometown. When you embrace the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus says, you are blessed, you'll never regret it, but I want to remind you, Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. You've got problems before Jesus that he will solve. But the truth is there's some problems that emerge because you follow Jesus. And you need to be told the truth. Now, the good news is none of the problems, none of the problems, even compared to the glory to be revealed. Amen. The angels teach us that God the Father will do anything to protect his son Herod teaches us that darkness is real and still around after Jesus emerges, but Jesus will be the end of that darkness. Look with me last, Joseph and the journey. Beginning in verse 14 and 15 and then verse 21, the Bible says, and he arose, Joseph did, took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. He remained there until the death of Herod. Verse 21. And he arose and took the child of his mother after the death of Herod and went to the land of Israel. You need to be aware that the word flee is where we get our word fugitive. And Joseph and Mary and Jesus were fugitives. They would make their way 75 miles down to Egypt. Egypt was a favorite place for the Jewish people to go. It was a place of sanctuary. Alexandria, Egypt at this time had a million Jews. So they would have fit right in. As far as we know, it's the only time Jesus ever left his, his country. He moves from Asia to Africa. Now, we don't know much about the time in Egypt, but that doesn't mean that people can't speculate. Down through the centuries, Christians have reported all kinds of miracles when Jesus was in Egypt. He said that miracles happened as they were making their way to Egypt. Here are some of the miracles. They were protected from dragons. I said dragons. They were reverenced by lions, and leopards would wag their tails as they made their way into Egypt. They were fed by palm trees. Palm trees would dip so that they could eat from the fruit of the palm trees, supposedly. Today you can visit Egypt. I'm sure for a nominal fee you can find places that Joseph and Mary and Jesus were actually were, actually were. All kinds of stories emerge about this, but my favorite of all these is that two robbers supposedly were about to rob Mary until she began to cry, and it was her tears that thwarted the robbery, and these were the same two robbers that would be crucified alongside Jesus some 30 years later. Great imaginations. We don't know much about the time of Jesus in Egypt. We don't know in verse 19, when Herod died, the Bible again says, the angel says, you've got to get to Egypt. And then when, to come back to Nazareth. By my count, this is the third time Joseph had an angel come to him. This morning, as I was 
getting ready to come here, as is my custom, I take my Bible app and oftentimes press play to hear scripture in a reading plan. And my reading plan today was Advent. It was Luke chapter 1, a man named Zechariah. Do you know Zechariah? He's a staple to the Christmas story. Zechariah's claim to fame, he walks around heaven saying, this is my boy, John the Baptist. That's all he does, I'm sure. But do you know about his story? Because the story is insightful for our friend Joseph here. Zechariah, by lot, was chosen to go in the Holy of Holies. He was a priest. You dreamed about going in the Holy of Holies if you were a priest. While he's there, an angel shows up to Zechariah and tells Zechariah, I've got good news for you. Your wife, who is barren, you two cannot have children. I've got good news. She's now pregnant. And this is the Scott Mays version. The boy's going to be a game changer for God. He's going to be incredible. Now, it's insightful what Zechariah does next. And I want you to take Zechariah and I want you to compare him to Joseph. Because Zechariah does something that's stupid. He says, how will I know this? I love what Gabriel says next. He says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I don't mince words. I don't come down here and say, good morning, how you doing? How was last night? Did you sleep okay? None of that stuff. I don't speak four parts truth and two parts lie. I don't joke. I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God. And here's your sign. You're gonna be mute until the child's born. How do you like that for a sign? It's not until this morning I really saw Zechariah that I understood Joseph. Because Joseph's not a priest, but he doesn't drag his feet, he doesn't ask questions. He just says yes. And can you imagine if you're Joseph? If you put Joseph in our day with telephones or Zoom calls, you know, and your mom says, now tell me again what, what's going on here, mom? I didn't touch the girl. I know she's pregnant. She didn't cheat. I didn't, I didn't lay a hand on her, mom. I'm telling you, an angel showed up and told both of us that this is all about God. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Your dad wants to talk to you, <laughs> right? And then a couple years later, you've got this whole thing. Uh, Mom, I know you were expecting us to come back to Egypt, but we can't. Mom says, let me guess, an angel. Yes, Mom, an angel. I've got to go. I can't go to Nazareth. I've got to go to Egypt. In all seriousness, look at the tremendous adjustment this couple did to bring us Christmas. Now, they didn't know any of that. They've just been obedient to God. Let me ask you a question this morning on this sort of eve of Christmas day. Are you more like Zechariah or are you more like Joseph? How much convincing does God have to do to get you to do his will? Do you need some extra stuff? Or are you one that says, I heard you, God? And the answer is yes. We don't know much about Joseph after this. The Bible says in verse 22 and 23 that 
when Joseph heard that Herod's boy Archelaus was on the throne, he decided to make his way not in Judea but in Nazareth. And again, one more time, our Bible says, this is the fulfillment of what the prophet says. We don't know anything else about Joseph, really. Tradition tells us he died. He'll never be heard of again in the Gospels other than an account where he's in the temple with Jesus as sort of a young teenager. The obedience of Joseph. The angels teach us that God will do anything to protect his son. And Herod teaches us that the end of all your problems is not embracing Jesus, but he is one day the end of all your problems. He is the light in the midst of a dark, dark world that will one day extinguish all darkness. Do you know Jesus Christ? Even Joseph has to show up in heaven and say, I embraced Jesus Christ. Even the great obedience of Joseph, he did not have a report card good enough to get him into heaven. He needed the grace of the Lord Jesus. Do you know Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Father, how we need you. And Lord, thank you for orchestrating this whole story. We're living in turbulent times. Our politics in America rebound and reverb among polar opposites. It's as if our nation has been shaken like a like a snow globe in recent days. We long for the peace and tranquility of the song about Bethlehem. Only you can bring that. You can bring that into our homes, into our lives. You are the one who is perfect peace. So Father, today we pray that we are obedient like Joseph, all while needing the grace that is provided by your Son and the cross. So come Holy Spirit into our lives today. rewrite our lives and realign our lives with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org.